In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Word of God, reveal more of yourself to us through your presence in the Bible. Led by the Holy Spirit, guide our time of reflection. May it increase our desire for you in the Scripture and in the sacrament. Amen. There's a major link between our first reading and our Gospel this weekend, so let's begin with the second reading first, because it's not as connected. We continue to hear from the book of James this weekend, and our passage at Mass begins with a command. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality. Now, this Greek word that the author uses for showing partiality is what we call a hapax legomenon. It means that this is the only place in the entire Bible where it's used. It's likely a word taken from the Hebrew word for lifting up one's face, and it was used in Hebrew with context of showing favoritism in a court of law. Why is that important? Scholar Roy Bowen Ward wrote a fascinating article in 1969 claiming that we should view this scene with the rich man and the poor man as taking place not within any old gathering of people, but as taking place within a court of law. He gives several reasons for this. First, that this word for showing partiality has background as being used in a court setting. Second, the rich man and the poor man are being told where to sit as if they were being ushered into court proceedings. Third, verse 4 of the passage very specifically warns against becoming, quote, judges with evil designs. Therefore, although it's not critical to visualizing the lesson here, as you listen at Mass to the descriptions of the poor man with shabby clothes and the rich man with fine clothes and gold rings, which literally means gold-fingered, like the James Bond character, it would be helpful to imagine the scene playing out in court. Our first reading is a passage from our old friend Isaiah the Rapper. But here's the interesting thing. You'll remember that we said Isaiah sort of had three different albums during his career, which were written over three time periods. Before the exile, during the exile, and after the exile. But even though our passage falls in the section of Isaiah's first album, chapters 1-39, through 39, a good amount of scholars actually believe that this chapter was written when Isaiah was in exile during the time of his second album. So it'd almost be like Isaiah took this song, or this chapter, let's say, from his second album and then pasted it back into his first album. Why do people think this? Because many of the themes we see here line up more with what Isaiah will say in chapters 40 to 55, which is his second album. He talks about a highway being opened up, where those who have been displaced by the exile will return to Zion. God is going to change the fortunes of those who have suffered, bringing sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. The first reading finishes with Isaiah providing images of streams bursting forth in the desert and burning sands becoming pools. These images remind us of when God cared for the Israelites in the desert by providing them with water from the rock. Our gospel is fascinating, and there's much to say here. At the very beginning, we're told that Jesus left the district of Tyre and went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee. But geographically, this makes absolutely no sense. If one was leaving Tyre, Sidon was actually in the complete opposite direction of the Sea of Galilee. It'd be like saying, I'm leaving D.C. and heading for Florida, but I'm going to stop in Boston on my way down. Why does Mark do this? Well, it's possible that he wasn't completely familiar with the geography of the region and needed to string together different stories people told him about Jesus' ministry with Gentiles in the area. That makes all the more sense when we consider that this story in our gospel of the healing of a deaf-mute man is very unique when compared to the rest of Mark's gospel. These seven verses contain all sorts of words that Mark doesn't use elsewhere. And in addition, 
the story seems to be told through the lens of someone more accustomed to magical traditions. I mean, check it out. There's a number of details included in this story that line up with how miracle workers and magicians at the time would heal. One, we're told that Jesus looks up to heaven to perform the healing. Two, his actual word of healing, Ephatha, is recorded, just as recording the word of healing would be important for magicians, too. Although magicians at the time often relied upon made-up garbly-gook words like abracadabra or open sesame, which made no sense to anyone else. Third, that Jesus' size could also be the tradition of miracle workers. And finally, we see Jesus using his spit as part of the healing. For Greeks, Romans, and Jews, the spit of an influential man was power-laden. At the very least, it was believed to have power, either for good or for evil. I mean, think about it, even today. If a kid scrapes his knee on the playground, someone might say, "Yeah, listen, just put some spit on it, rub some dirt in it, you'll be fine. So that's it. That's your Sunday setup for this 23rd Sunday in Ordinary Time in Year B. May this knowledge of the story behind the scripture allow you to encounter Jesus Christ in a new way this weekend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.